Hello and welcome to Filibustering History, a podcast series where we discuss what historians do all day. I'm Rob Denning, lead faculty for the history programs at Southern New Hampshire University's College of Online and Continuing Education. Today I am talking to Dr. Julie Thomas, an adjunct instructor in the history program at SNHU and a few other institutions, who is also an elected county commissioner from Monroe County, Indiana. Today we will talk about her background in history, her day job as a county commissioner, the historical skills used in positions like hers, and what it's like to be a candidate in a local political campaign. What is your name and what do you do? I'm Julie Thomas and I am a Monroe County Commissioner in Monroe County, Indiana. I also serve as, in addition to my work as adjunct faculty at Southern New Hampshire, I'm associate faculty at both Franklin College here in Indiana and at um, IUPUI, Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis. And that is a very busy workload. Uh, what is your academic and professional background? Well, I actually hold two bachelor's degrees, two master's degrees, and my PhD in history. I started out in music. I play double bass and um, started my undergraduate that way and became interested in film and uh, switched my major at that point. So that was in the 80s. And my favorite class, though, was history. And I thought, I can't do anything with history. So I just finished my degree in radio, television, film, and began working in that field. And I started going back to school at night, um, started taking history classes at night, and I ended up getting my second bachelor's in history. And my and then I went and completed my master's um, in history as well at the same institution. Um, I did all of that at night while I was working. So I think that gives me a good sense of what most of, of my students go through uh, here at Southern New Hampshire. Um, th that you have a, a desire to learn and, and you find a way to make it fit into your otherwise busy life. Um, I decided though that I really wanted to get my PhD in history and I ended up coming to Indiana University Bloomington and uh, because my first degree was just in, uh, my first master's degree was just in history, they asked me to come back and do a master's in Russian history before I finished my PhD in Russian history. So it's in uh, Soviet era focus. I also have minor degrees um, with my PhD in gender studies and the uh, West European history and the Russian East European Institute certification. So it's a, it's a broad ranging European based program with a focus on gender. So you were focusing on Soviet Russia. Was that your dissertation topic? That well, part of it. Um, the, the the program I ended up teaching first as um, as a graduate student. I ended up teaching at um, Indiana University Bloomington in the Gender Studies department, mainly history related courses in gender studies, and they didn't have a PhD yet. I ended up doing my PhD dissertation on Margaret Sanger, who was one of the founders of Planned Parenthood in uh, the United States, but she had this very interesting life. In the 20s and 30s, uh, 1920s, 1930s, she organized international conferences on the provision of contraception and did all this, of course, before the age of internet and email and did this before even she would fly over, she would actually take a boat over to Europe to have these conferences. And 
she was an international advocate for birth control. And so she did some research work in a number of countries, but I ended up studying her work in seven countries. But I did a chapter of my dissertation on her work in the Soviet Union because at the time, abortion was legal, but contraception was not widely available. And I'd read through so many books about women's history in the Soviet era, and every, every historian said there was no such thing as contraception in the Soviet Union. Well, in reading through one of her colleagues, um, a gynecologist named Dr. Tausig, Frederick Tausig, I discovered that he had a photograph of a poster in Moscow, and it said, don't have another abortion, use contraception. So I'm thinking, how is it everybody's saying there's no such thing? So I spent the fall of 2001, and in fact, I was in Moscow on September 11th, 2001, which was frightening beyond belief. Uh, mm -hmm. But I spent the fall of 2001 going through the Russian archives and the medical library. And thank goodness I can, I can read Russian better than I can speak it. And found this amazing trove of information about the contraceptive research that they were doing. It was, it was groundbreaking research. And so one of my chapters is on specifically how they researched contraception um, in the mainly in the late 1920s um, in the early 1930s in the Soviet Union. It's just fascinating stuff. But uh, Margaret Sanger went to Moscow and she's including her her worldview in what she brings back to the United States um, for the provision of contraception. It was really fascinating. I, I, of course, I found it fascinating. I, I studied it for years and wrote about it. So I find it incredibly fascinating. <laughs> with spending all that much time with it, I would hope you found it fascinating. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds fascinating to us outsiders also. That sounds really interesting because I, I am an Americanist, but everything I ever read about Soviet Union was all about wanting for everything. And so it is interesting that you found that, no, they actually were not and maybe it wasn't widespread or widely available, but it was there. And that is that is something new. That's great. Right. And, I, and I've done a lot of work um, once I became involved in the Bloomington, Indiana community, which is a really fascinating, fun place to live and beautiful. I found uh, myself involved in some political programs and things at the local level. Um, a woman started a group because there were no women on the city council in Bloomington, Indiana, which was just unheard of for a progressive city. And she started a group called the Democratic Women's Caucus, which I joined immediately and really became so involved. I ended up becoming the chair of the group and I've recently stepped away from that role. But the idea is to um, try to raise money and inspire and train and support women who want to run for local elected office. So I get to teach a little bit about how to campaign and how, how government works. And that's been really fascinating. And as part of that, one of the things we tell women is you probably didn't ever think of yourself being a politician, but you know you can run for office. And so I turned and thought, why am I not running? So I ran for Monroe County Council, which is that that board only does budgets for the county. It's a lot of work, not a lot of fun, um, as you can imagine, only dealing with budgets. But <laughs> fascinating. fascinating. <laughs> yes, it, it's, it's fascinating work. And I learned a great deal about Monroe County government and, and re really detailed, fine, uh, granular information about how county government works. 
And when a position became open on the Monroe County Board of Commissioners, there's a three-member board. I ran and won, and um, I just won my re-election in uh, 2016. So this is now my beginning my third term as a, an elected official for county Monroe County government, and I love my work. So this board is the legislative and executive branch of county government. So we deal with ordinances, planning and zoning, the detailed work of managing some of our departments. We also get to dabble in things like trash and stormwater uh, besides planning and, and the minutia of, oh, we need a new website and, and how are we going to do this to uh, sort of the grand plans of, of how we move county government forward, how we best serve our residents. So I've kind of become the environmentalist on the board and I've done a lot of work ensuring that we have, we're putting solar panels in on, we now have them on three of our buildings, which is great and including a new parking garage we just built. And so there's, there's a lot of that kind of day-to-day -day work that I do. And I find it so useful for me, especially, because it taps into what I've learned as a historian. Research, first and foremost, a PhD is really just saying, you know how to conduct research. And I use that every day in my job in county government, um, whether it be uh, researching legal background, looking at historical discussions about planning and zoning, um, historic preservation of buildings, whatever it might be, research plays a key role. And of course, being able to put it all together using critical thinking, that's so important in, um, in history, and being able to present that information verbally, putting together a great and interesting PowerPoints, and explaining to the public why we're doing what we're doing and how it all works and how it all fits together. So I find that I use my skills as a historian every day, even though I'm working on current event issues, which I think is a really great use of skills. Yeah, that sounds like a great use of skills. Before we talk more about your particular job duties, one thing that I've always been curious about is what is it like to run for a local government office like that? I mean, we're all familiar with the grind and the prolonged thing of like a presidential campaign. We just lived through that last year. But for a local level, I imagine the campaign isn't nearly as intense or as extensive as a presidential campaign. So what is it actually like running for a local government office? That is such a great question. It is a very different experience than what you see on the big stage. But we have debates. We have fora and we have questionnaires we have to answer about local issues. And it becomes sort of this all-encompassing world where all you're thinking about is, what do I want to do next? How will I get there? How can I best express this to the residents of the county? Um, knocking on doors, going to community meetings, reacquainting yourself with what people are looking for. And it really hones the listening skills quite a bit, which is important. And it's something that I try to do every day, but but when you're in the process of running a campaign, it becomes this the center of your life, and and it can become rather intense, although in a different way than a in a presidential election can be. But it can become rather intense. It can become heated. There can be a great deal of discord, but it can also be a lot of fun, and you know, going to parades and 
meeting folks that you don't know and finding out that you've connected with them in some way that you didn't realize and and just trying to inspire more people to do something to serve the public. And I really see my, my role as a public servant. Every day, I don't get paid very much as a county commissioner. In fact, they consider me part-time, although I spend more than full-time every week on the job. I see myself, it's, it's almost like a mixed volunteer job and a, and a full-time job. It's something that is so rewarding when you work on a project yeah, a building, a, a renovation, getting a zoning ordinance together, which is a lot harder than it sounds. And you see the final project product, you feel so good that, that you had a hand in something that's going to impact the residents in the future and the community will be bonded together in a new way. I'm a bit of a political junkie, and so we could probably sit here all day talking about the, yes. <laughs> the, the, the fine, fine details of city government versus county government versus state government, and I'm sure you have stuff to say about all of that, but I suppose I should probably stick with uh, the history part of it here. So it makes, it makes a lot of sense that you use things like your critical thinking skills, your communication skills. Do you find that your training in history helps you to just to maybe understand certain political issues or public issues or public projects in a better way than if you did not have your general history training just because you know about how you know what happened in the past and how we got to where we are and all that that is such a good question because that's really true it's something that i was talking about with my colleagues the other day i i sometimes can take this macro view of trends not just political trends but community trends and historical trends and I try to take that macro view whenever I can. It's, it's grounding in a way, but it, it does help shape and provide a direction for what we want to do next. And it also helps kind of get you out of your space of being focused and stressed about a particular project because you, you take a step back and you say, well, in the scheme of things, if it comes out this way, it'll be just fine. So it, it can be rather, rather grounding in a way. And one of the fun things I'm getting to do right now is I'm chairing a committee because our county is going to be celebrating our bicentennial next year. And so I get to do some more active history as well. And so that's it's going to be fun to, to, to try to inspire people to embrace our community's history, even though we're a fairly transient community because of the university. We do have some long-term residents and we have a great and and vital and vibrant historical background. You must have access to a lot of really cool materials as part of the you know, county archives or the state archives. And it, there's gotta be some good stories to tell there. Uh, I think there are going to be a lot of great stories to tell. And I'm trying to bring in so many people from our community uh, to become involved in these aspects of our history and to celebrate it. We have really, this is, you know, our, our, our state's uh, bicentennial was two years ago. The county's is, is next year. There is a, a great history related to the historical buildings that we have and how our county was founded and the city of Bloomington, uh, where I live, is founded the same year. So they're co-celebrating with us. And that interaction is really interesting. Um, looking at some of the names of families that have been around since the time of, of the beginning settlement of the state, 
uh, is really interesting as well. So it's a community project because what we're trying to do is we're going to be inviting our community members to sort of dig through their attics and find photographs and documents related to Monroe County history. It could be a, a draft letter for the war or whatever it might be, an old family photo, whatever it might be. And we're going to go ahead and digitize them and we're going to hang some of them around our courthouse and at our history center. And, and so we're going to try to get the community involved that way as well. So I think that's my goal is to not make it so much a leader's celebration of 200 years, but to really make it a, a full community celebration if we can. That sounds great. And uh, I'm looking forward to hearing what you find out because <laughs> I bet there's going to be some interesting <laughs> stuff there. You've done a pretty good job making it sound like a pretty appealing line of work to go into because you get to, you know, you're working with the public, but you're also doing it in a way that has real consequences for the lives of, you know, the people of your of your county. If there are listeners who are thinking about going into some sort of public service career, possibly a career in politics, do you have any advice for those listeners to kind of get them maybe a good good starting point for them? Sure. Well, one of the things I would recommend doing is is finding a board or commission. Typically, cities and counties have a number of these. We have a ton of them in our community, but there are usually a few of them. And it could be anything from planning and zoning to utilities to uh, women's commission. We have environmental commissions. Try to find a local board or commission to join. And those are typically appointments made by uh, elected officials and become involved that way. You will learn so much about how that government works and you will meet a lot of people. And if, if it's not interesting to you, find a different one or it may not be your, your cup of tea and that's okay. But I think it's a good way to serve the public and to learn more about your community, become more engaged. You never know where it will take you. And the other thing I will tell, especially for women who may be listening is, Women are not, do not make up 50% of, of most uh, elected bodies. And it, it's a real disadvantage because everybody's voice needs to be heard. And I would say the same thing to the audience um, of color because we need diverse voices. We need a range of experiences on every board and commission and in every elected position because that's the only way government can serve the community is if it really accurately reflects the community. And so once you are involved, if you do want to go ahead and run for a local elected office, the next thing to do is to talk to your party leader, whichever party it is, and also meet with people who are elected and learn what they do and figure out if it's a job you really want to do. I think one of the things I like the most about being a county commissioner is that we never do the same thing every day. The one frustrating thing is you never, your job never ends because even if you complete a project and you want to take a sigh of relief and sit back and have a cup of coffee and enjoy the moment, there's something else coming or something else you're doing. So there's a lot of plate spinning, but I thrive on that personally. Not everyone does, and I understand that. But I thrive on that, and I really enjoy that that ongoing set of projects in the hopper. Everything's you know, there's always something new to work on. But this is it's a great it's a great way to to serve, but it's also a great way to 
shape the future of where you live. And um, it's, it's a fabulous experience. You meet the most interesting people. Okay. Well, I think that about settles that then. Do you have any special history-related recommendation for us? A, a book you've recently read or an artifact you've come into contact with? Uh, anything you'd like to share with us today? Well, I, w I actually had a number of books in my mind, and, and then I realized that one of the most recent things I did, which was fascinating for me, was I went to my, my mother recently turned 80, and, and I don't mind saying that because she doesn't have podcasts, so she won't know I've told her age to the world. We won't she, tell her. <laughs> she, um, she did not have a real sense of um, her maternal, the maternal side of her family and that history. And so I did some basic genealogical research and gave that to her as part of her 80th birthday present. And she loved it. And one of the cities that we found a connection with is Manistee, Michigan. So we actually took a trip there together, my sisters and my mother and my niece and myself. And it was really a wonderful time. It was so fun. And I will tell you, I imagine there are a number of little towns like this. It was the timber, lumber, salt capital of Michigan for quite a few years. And it was really built up in the Victorian era and they've retained most of their Victorian architecture. So the city, it's just a beautiful little city uh, to begin with. But, you know, then I spent some time in their library and their history center, and it was so different to walk the streets. You know, we went and looked at the house where my grandmother lived right after she was born, and it's still there. And uh, those kinds of visual connections with our past are really important. And so... If you're doing any genealogical research and it, and it connects you with the United States or somewhere where you can travel, I highly recommend just going to see it. Um, because one of the things that inspired me to go ahead and study Soviet history is I went to the Soviet Union in the 80s when I was an undergrad on an exchange program. And I was fascinated by the propaganda posters and the, the everyday life and culture. And so I bring that interest and curiosity um, with me everywhere I go. And so when I teach um, the Russian history class, I always include a lot of film clips and things like that that aren't part of the curriculum, but just may be of interest to a few students who are taking the course. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. I loved being here with you, and um, I'm, my door is always open, um, the virtual door and the real door. So if anyone ever has questions, um, if, if we could post my, my email address, that would be great. And um, I'm always here to, to talk to students and um, to share interesting ideas and experiences with them. By all means, what is your email address that they should reach uh, you at? j.thomas1 at snhu.edu. All right, great. Sounds good. We'll pass that Excellent. along. Great. And thank you for listening to us today. If you have any questions or comments on this podcast or suggestions for future episodes, as always, please send me an email, snhuhistory at gmail.com. I'm Rob Denning. Thanks for listening.